welcome to the Full Heart Free Voice Podcast. Podcast. I'm Emma Veritas. I'm a writer and writing coach for women who want to start writing. And I'm a teacher for women who want to find their true selves again. And I'm Caitlin Bosshart, a life coach for the multi-passionate at heart and wedding coach for couples planning non-traditional weddings. We read books that inspire you to live with a full heart and a free voice. Welcome to episode three, where we are talking about the first chapter of Women Who Run With the Wolves called The Howl, Resurrection of the Wild Woman. So in the last chapter we discussed, which was the introduction to Women Who Run With the Wolves, we learned the basic terminology for the book. We learned about the wild woman, about archetypes, and about how stories can help you recover this wild woman aspect of yourself. In chapter one for today's episode, what we find is a deeper introduction to the wild woman archetype, where Dr. Estes talks about the function of this archetype and the type of work we can do to engage more with the wild woman and what she is doing in our lives. The feature story in this chapter is La Loba, the wolf woman. And moving forward, each of the chapters will have its own fairy tale that goes along with it. And La Loba is a story about a woman who lives alone out in the desert. She goes around collecting wolf bones. And when she has enough bones to put together a full skeleton, she sings over them. As she sings, the wolf comes into shape. Its flesh and hair and teeth and claws all grow. When the wolf is whole again, it goes running out across the desert. And at the end of the story, as we see the wolf running into the distance, it turns into a a woman running wild and free. So Dr. Estes uses the La Loba story to teach us about how the wild woman works in our lives. Like that's what's really happening in this chapter, right? She's digging into this story and we get to learn about the function of the wild woman. So what happens is that this woman in the story who's collecting bones is a mythical representation of the wild woman. She's deep and mystical and there's something not so sanitized or like cultured about her, right? She's wild. And she's doing this work in the story where she's going out into the desert and she's collecting bones, which Dr. Estes describes the bones as being metaphors for the indestructible life force or the pieces of ourselves, which we might have lost, but that cannot truly be destroyed. Like she talks about bones as these hard objects, right? That can't be destroyed. And so from this, we learn that our inner wild woman is always doing this work of gathering the pieces of ourselves back to us. And what I think this means is there's always a part of us setting about doing this work, nudging you to go here and do that and to seek wholeness in your life. So for me, I always say that on the healing journey, I know the next thing that needs healing because that topic tends to bubble to the top of my consciousness. All of a sudden, I'll be thinking about something when I might have never really thought about it before, or I'll start noticing quotes on social media about that thing, like they'll really stand out to me, or maybe friends will start talking about it, and it will all of a sudden seem like 
everything in my life is pointing in that direction. And sometimes I'll even do things and it feels like I'm not consciously doing it. It's like times when I can't stop going to a certain website or reading a certain book. And it feels like that's kind of out of my control. I'm just finding myself there doing that thing. And to me, these are all signs that there's another bone the wild woman within me wants to collect. So for example, there was a time when anger was rising to the surface for me and all the signs were pointing in my life to it being a time when I needed to start getting down to learning how to have a healthy relationship to my anger. Like it was just the thing that kept coming up over and over again at this particular time in my life. And after I noticed that, I started doing the deeper work of gathering the bones. And Dr. Estes offers a list of the type of things you might do to do the gathering. And I actually want to read this quote to you because I think it's a great list. People do meditation to find psychic alignment. That's why people do psychotherapy and analysis. That's why people analyze their dreams and make art. That is why many read tarot cards, cast I Ching, dance, drum, make theater, pry out the poem, and fire up the prayer. That's why we do all the things we do. It is the work of gathering all the bones together. So for me, what happens is that, you know, like something like that anger comes up for me, all the signs point that way. And then I start to feel these little tugs and pulls in my day towards different things I can do to help me on that particular healing journey. So for example, with the anger, there was a time when I was getting coached you know, I was like in a coaching session and my coach all of a sudden just started talking about anger, right? And that was the theme of the coaching session. And she led me through a meditation that really helped me on my journey to begin to work with that. Um, I also remember going for walks and feeling the pain of trying to not feel angry when I was angry and I wanted to avoid it. And after a half hour of walking, finally feeling the surrender and being like, okay, I'll do this, right? That walk was the important thing I was doing. At the time, I was also reading Carla McLaren's book, The Art of Empathy, where she instructs you specifically on the questions to ask for each emotion. So I started asking myself the anger question, which was, what needs protecting here? And that really changed things and opened things up for me. So even though there wasn't a clear A to Z path in front of me on how to reclaim anger for myself exactly, like all of this stuff was coming up during my days. And it was that wild woman work of reintegrating this piece of myself. So I think Dr. Estes describes this type of process so richly and so metaphorically in the chapter, it's really beautiful. And then sometimes, at least for me, the metaphorical descriptions can make this work feel a little bit out of reach, like it's something special and it's something different than what I'm actually just doing with my life. When really, I think Dr. Estes is describing a natural function of the psyche that's happening all the time. And when you're on a more introspective journey in life, you can start to see it. Like it's not out of reach at all. It's just kind of what we're doing, how we're moving through life. And I think what she's saying is there are things you can do, practices you can do to help you become aware of the process and more actively partner with the wild woman to collect the bones. 
The last thing I'll say about this chapter is that it truly serves as another kind of introduction where the main message is that the work we're setting about here is to collect the pieces of ourselves that we might have lost. But then the rest of the chapters in Women Who Run With the Wolves each focus on the most common types of bones people usually need to regather into their our lives. So for example, there are chapters focusing on reclaiming intuition, one on boundaries, one on creativity, another one on belonging. So this chapter is saying, here's the type of work we're doing. And then the rest of the chapters are where we're going to dig in and actually do that work. Okay, so Caitlin, what did you think of this chapter? What stood out for you? What was it like reading this one? I really resonate with the image of collecting all these pieces of yourself. This chapter, in a lot of ways, was so hopeful in that if there's pieces that are lost, they can be recovered. And that indestructible force and that the essence, that the bones are like the essence of your of your being and they can't be destroyed was so beautiful to me. For me, I just have this special connection to the idea of bones because I have scoliosis and I have a spinal fusion. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about my bones. (laughs) And so this image is really beautiful of like collecting all these pieces and that while it's, you know, like for my, for me, my spine and the things I've gone through with through having surgery and um, dealing with scoliosis throughout my life, even though there's been damage that's happened, that reminder of that resiliency that that I have and my bones um, really represent that to me. I love it. So what I hear is that hope part of this chapter, which is so huge. I loved that too. I love when she talks about the soul, like there's that quote, which I won't be able to quote exactly. I'll just say what it says is that um, this, when she talks about the soul never being able to be killed, like it might be scratched, it might be hurt, but it can't be destroyed. And I love that too. And I love that all these pieces of ourselves can actually be brought back. And I think it describes certainly my personal healing journey really perfectly, that it feels like a gathering of these things to me and a putting my foundation part of who I am back together. And the thing that's also interesting to think about is that those those pieces that we've lost or that have been injured or maimed, I think is a word that she used that the process of actually recovering them and healing that part of ourselves is is so powerful, that that's like where the growth happens. And while it's you never wish to go through that, it's beautiful that on the other end of trying to put those pieces back together and gather them back to yourself, that what how much you gain from that as a person and how you take that into the rest of your life. And I like how... Even though, like, so, okay, so I'll say that I'm a person who loves direction and instruction. I'm like a, my personality type all around every personality type test I've ever done is geared towards me loving like a one to 10 list with steps. But what I love with Women Who Run With The Wolves is 
that really living a creative life doesn't have to look like that. And that when you just do stuff you enjoy doing or stuff that feels interesting or stuff you're curious about are all part of this path of collecting the bones. Like it's actually kind of simple. Yeah. And and I love what you were saying about these different inspired actions or something calling to you that was, or things popping up in your life that were these little signals to you that that those were places that needed attention Mm -hmm. and that it isn't necessarily linear as much as we might want it to be. But I like that there's like this chapter kind of talks about like getting into the muck and like the messiness and like that connecting even like she talks about how, you know, that idea of like digging down into the earth (laughs) and getting messy and getting mud under your nails and, (laughs) um, you know, and that there's sort of like this natural process that isn't always as linear as we want it to be, but that it's valuable to, or that it's okay to sort of have this winding path. Yeah. I think it's interesting how like culture, I think our Claire Serpent Colestes would call it the over culture. So like the larger culture that we live in, um, like certainly in the U.S., it's geared towards a very particular type of productivity, very much geared towards factory work, factory production type of productivity. And when you live a life where your life process is so different than that, I think it's fun how when you reclaim Wild Woman, it's not just reclaiming that essence, but part of reclaiming Wild Woman is really owning the process as being wild. Like the process to get there is also not approved by the culture. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely makes sense. And I love the way that you phrase that. Well, and and that idea of like the productivity really brings to mind that pressure that there is to be productive and to do things that are seen as productive and valuable to a society and a lot of these practices that are connecting with the wild woman where she's talking about, you know, creativity and creating things and <clears throat> pulling tarot cards and even like connecting with nature aren't inherently productive mm-hmm. by societal terms. And how interesting it is that that's not what's necessarily valued. And I feel like I'm always feeling this tug towards what I should be doing in terms of like what's quote unquote, like productive, a good use of my time and feel like all these other things sort of feel are secondary. Although it's actually where I'm always being tugged towards. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the part of the chapter where she talks about having, or was it in the introduction when she talks about being a girl with a tail coming out from behind her dress. Like she always just was climbing trees and running around and getting mucky. Yes. And I think there's that part of us, right? Like this wild, messy part of who we are that is the thing that's tugging us. It's like that tail slipping underneath our skirt that you can see. Yeah. And the other thing I really loved about this chapter is that the dual nature of life and death as being partners, you know, and mm-hmm. equal partners to one another and thinking about how sometimes in order to 
for there to be new birth or new life in some way, there needs to be a death. So sometimes we have to remove things from our lives in order for something new to take its place. And that that is really powerful to me. That is really powerful. I was actually thinking about that in terms of my story that I told about anger in the synopsis where in order to invite into my life or give new life to being a person who actually feels her anger, listens to it and takes appropriate action based on the messages from her anger, I needed to give up this habit I had formed where my anger would come out sideways. It was like time for me to release that part of me. And what I knew was that there were certain things that would happen or certain situations with certain people where I wasn't allowing myself to feel my anger fully at other things. And so my anger would like find a release valve with these little things. (laughs) And it was like coming out all wonky and it was not working in my life. I was like damaging relationships. So there was part of me that was like, well, this isn't serving me anymore. But the solution wasn't to stop feeling anger. Like the solution was to invite and give life to a really healthy relationship to my anger, to actually learn how to feel it appropriately towards the things that I was really angry about and to look towards what really did need protecting in my life. Right. And there's something that you said that was really interesting that I I want to ask you about. You you said that this is something you realized that, you know, by bottling that anger or not having a healthy relationship with it, it was coming out sideways and that it wasn't serving you anymore. Was there a time in your life where doing that actually was serving you? That's such a good question. Yes. I would definitely say there were times in my life, especially in my younger days, when it was not safe to feel and express my anger towards a situation, right, that I had no control over. Like things were pretty rough at home and it was not a safe place to feel and appropriately express my anger, (laughs) you know, like it wasn't actually protecting myself in a lot of ways was not the safe path. Like the, you know, my younger childhood, Emma, learned to protect herself by stifling her true emotions. But as an adult, wild woman, like that did not work anymore. And so there was a time, like so much healing had happened, probably so much therapy sessions and all the books I've read before I got to that. But there was a moment where that was the thing. Like I had walked through a lot of different healing journeys with a lot of different of the bones of my life that I collected. And then there was a time where that was the thing. Yeah. What you're describing is so common. We might have something as an adult, this habit or this protective mechanism that maybe we we adopted from an earlier time in our lives. And we might feel frustrated with ourselves now because it doesn't fit any longer our current situation, but it did in the past and it did serve a really fundamental protective function, but we just have, we didn't know how to let that go over time. And that's just something I try to remind myself that it's like, especially when you're talking about where anger comes out sideways and 
that never feels good. And I so relate to that. And also giving myself the grace and understanding that the way that I'm functioning at times often had a purpose in the past, but now I'm aware of it and I need to figure out how to find that healing to let it go. Yeah. And what I've found is that the healing always surprises me. I've gotten into this habit now where I'll notice that the solution I think should be the solution is normally a solution the overculture offers, right? Where it's like, don't get anger. That's the solution. Versus like, there's usually another solution and I just don't see it. I don't know what it is. So I've gotten into this habit of saying this little prayer when I feel really stressed or in distress about something. I'll try to set it aside. Like I'll try to stop solving it and I'll ask my soul to show me the truth. I'm like, I don't know what the truth is. Like, I don't know what I need to see about this because the solution I'm trying to make myself do isn't working just as much as the problem isn't working. And so that has been such an amazing thing. And actually that reminds me of when in the chapter when um, Dr. Estes talks about singing over the bones, she actually talks about it as telling the truth. I want to read this quote now. It's actually immediately after the list of things you can do, like the tarot reading and stuff like that. She says, you know, after that, after she says it is the work of gathering all the bones together, like these things we do are the work of gathering all the bones together. Then we must sit at the fire and think about which song we will use to sing over the bones, which creation hymn, which recreation hymn. And the truths we tell will make the song. That gives me like chills all the way down. Because I find that that's been actually been my process as I sit down and I'm like, soul, just show me the truth I actually need to see. And it always works. Like always within two or three days, I see the actual truth. And it's always freedom. Like it's always something that surprises me and leads me to freedom. I love that. And it's that goes back to even what we were talking about last episode about feeling that it's it's not necessarily an intellectual knowing that's needed, but it's that feeling. And if something feels like freedom, that's the truth, and that's that's what you should move towards. Today's episode is brought to you by me, your host, Caitlin Bosshart. I believe that not only does the world have space for the biggest, brightest version of yourself, it needs what only you can create. I'm a life coach for the multi-passionate at heart whose endless curiosity, eclectic interests, creative endeavors, and vision for their lives have never quite fit into any one box, no matter how hard you've tried. Instead, we think outside the box. I help you embrace who you are, harness your unique set of talents, and support you as you forge a less conventional path, one that is fulfilling and energizing to your multi-passionate nature. Sign up for a free 30-minute call with me at caitlinbosshart.com, and let's see if we'd make a good team. The link is in the show notes below.
So I'd love to hear, Emma, what you thought of this chapter. So yeah, so like I mentioned in the um, first episode, this is my fourth reading of Women Who Run With the Wolves. And going into it, I was like, oh, this is my fourth time reading it. So it's going to be super clear. I'm totally going to understand the whole thing now. This is great. And what I have found is that there's this very particular type of stress that can come up for me when reading Women Who Run With the Wolves, especially when it comes to the metaphors. So in the first episode, I talked about how I was really starting to understand the this style of writing is more poetic and trying to like get into the flow of that. So I was specifically working on that when reading chapter one, because I wanted to like just remember that this is more poetic and to take in whatever strikes me or feels true for me. But I also did feel some of that stress with the metaphors because what I start to wonder is like, well, like I don't get it. You know, like what is actually happening? What does this actually mean when she says, you know, this or this or this about the wild woman or this or this or this about life. And that can be a little bit overwhelming for me. And I found that it still is overwhelming for me. But what I found this time, which was really interesting, was that when I felt that kind of stress, I would calm myself down a little bit, remember that this is poetry, but also I would think about how much I've changed over the past few years and how at this point I actually kind of know what she's talking about. And so I would start off thinking, I don't know what she's talking about. Like that was the first thought that came to mind. And then I would calm down and realize, actually, I do have practical examples of this. And especially when I was like writing out the synopsis that I shared in this episode, it really clicked in for me, right? Like actually doing that exercise of writing the synopsis was really nice because it helped me to understand a little more what was happening. But there's one example, which I think is really interesting, where she talks about the wild woman living in the ovaries and... I mean, I never understood what that meant. <laughs> I was like, I don't get it. What the heck? What does that even mean? And in a practical way, what I always want to know is, how do you actually feel that experience? Like, I want to experience in my ovaries the wild woman. And how do you actually do it? And what I have found this time reading was that actually in the past year, I've done all this work, like spiritual work centered around the womb. and that like kind of dark empty space of the womb and the inner knowing that's there and like all this stuff this stuff has just been coming up for me right it's the thing that's been bubbling to the surface of my healing journey and now when I read it this time I had the immediate anxiety I don't know what that means and I was like wait I think I know what that means now (laughs) like I think I know what that feels like now and it was really exciting and I was realizing that through just my healing journey, through experiencing this stuff as I go along through life, that's how it's been coming to me. Like, okay, I get this part of it now where I never got it before. So it was kind of cool. It was like a little bit reading. It was a little stressful, but also really exciting because I start realize some things were really falling into place that I didn't quite get before. That's so cool. For one, it's refreshing that even though it's the first time or the fourth time that you've read it, sorry, that it's still a lot (laughs) and it can be overwhelming, but also that you've been working with this story so much and that you are starting to have this deeper understanding that you didn't have before. So it just shows that 
it is possible to understand this on a deeper level, even if at first it feels like, I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. I always want like, I always just want the practical understanding. Like, I just want to know how does this actually work in my day-to-day life, right? And that actually takes some work to get there. Like reading the book can help, but actually like diving in and saying, okay, you know what, today I feel really curious about this meditation practice I heard the other day. It's been showing up for me. People keep talking about it. And now I'm actually going to sit down and do it. And that practice might lead you to some new understanding. And then part of the teachings in this book might all of a sudden click in for you and be like, oh, that's what she was talking about. Now I get it. Right? Yeah. Well, and, and what you're, what you're saying really to me is intuition. It's connecting with that intuition and trusting it, even if it doesn't really make sense at first, that you really honed that and just say, you know, I don't know what is in this for me, but because it's showing up, I'm going to take the time and space to see what it might have to teach Mm me. Yeah, I think it is intuition. I think it's like intuition combined with curiosity, combined with willingness and a little bit of like also willingness to say, nobody bother me for 10 minutes. I'm doing this thing, (laughs) you know what I mean? And to see just like what happens. I think there's this experimental mindset that goes along with it too. And just saying, "Eh, I'm just going to see what happens if I try this interesting thing that's come along my path. And if nothing happens, fine. If something I don't like happens, I don't have to do it again. Or something else interesting might be revealed. I think a lot of this is like trial and error. So what would you say for somebody who does really want things to be more cut and dry and are struggling to get to that place where they can embrace that it is an experimental process? Hmm. I, I guess I would say that trying to take on that experimental mindset, I think that actually does really help with the desire to have things be cut and dry. It's like my desire for things to be exact and clear and this is the answer and I'm following it. What really helps me with that is saying, it's okay, I can just experiment. And this is now an experiment. (laughs) It's fine. And Mm -hmm. like I can even take notes. I can gather data. Like you could make graphs and charts and literally do it as an experiment and as a data collecting process. So I guess what that does is it adds enough structured process, the idea of thinking of it as an experiment, to help me do it. I kind of need structure to motivate me to do something, honestly. But like this type of path where you're saying, oh, I'm just going to see what's going to happen if I do this practice or this book has been really calling to me, I'm just going to read it and find out if I like it or whatever. I think adding a little bit of that experimental mindset can really help. So I actually think that like this is a little bit of personality typology and I don't know if all of our listeners are interested in this, but I really am. So my Myers-Briggs personality type is INFJ. And oh, what that means, if you don't know what that means, is that the I is in introvert, N stands for intuitive, F 
stands for feeler and J stands for judger. And that J part doesn't mean that I'm judgmental. It just means that the way how my mind works is it's geared towards making quick decisions. And I actually feel like I'm someone who feels anxious if there's open decisions. Like I kind of want things to be clear and, and exact. And I am not like a very sciencey, technical person, but I'm good at that work, even though it's not my bent to go there. Because this J part of me is kind of like really gets structure and lines and feels safe and secure when things are more decided. A P personality, a perceiver, is the opposite of that. And that personality tends to feel anxious when all the decisions have been made. So they'll, they want things to feel open. They want all the decisions to just be like, they want all the possibilities available all of the time. Like a very high person who rates very high on the perceiver. They love an open field of possibility and they can live life without like that structure and all that stuff being set and determined. And I'm curious. So I, I'm a J, but I think you're a P and I'm curious. I am yeah. a P. <laughs> so I like that we can give our listeners these different perspectives. So you'll have the perspective of someone reading Women Who Are With the Wolves who enjoys structure and someone who's okay without it. So what's your experience of this type of thing um, with Women Who Are With the Wolves, Caitlin? So I, I am kind of the opposite of you in this way. I, I don't mind some structure. I like loose guidelines and outlines, but ultimately I want to sort of follow my own path within this. And kind of going back to what I was talking about the very first episode about how I've decided to take my approach to this chapter is, or this book, this reading is to read the book or read the chapter and underline just what stands out for me. And then just giving myself full permission that that's all I need to worry about. For me, it's, it gives me so much freedom to basically, it's like a choose your own adventure kind of book for me at this point. And I'm just not worrying about the rest. And I don't really want to go down every all those other paths. I just want to follow the one that I want, but then also having the freedom to change gears if I feel like it. It's like, you know, I'm like the type of person, and this is most people's nightmare, but I love to go on vacation. I love to travel and not have a I was plan. so scared. I was like, she's going to talk about not booking hotel rooms ahead of time. <laughs> it's like my nightmare, <laughs> terror, anxiety attack yes. happening inside of me right now. Okay, go on. <laughs> my my husband and I, before we were married, took two different month-long trips to Europe. The first one, two weeks in Italy and two weeks in France, um, back to back, and then a month in Ireland. And all we had figured out were the first couple of days where we were going to go. And then we literally just went wherever the wind blew us. We we knew where we had to end up at the end of our trip to catch our flight home, but how we got there, when we got there, what we did in between, we didn't know. And we definitely had some near misses <laughs> of not getting to where we needed to be or, um, but at the same time, it opened us up to so many cool mm. things that we never would have done before. 
And it also was amazing because there was one town in France, I literally cannot remember what town it was, that we were trying to get to. Oh, I'm sorry, not in France, in Italy, that we were trying to get to. But that train line was striking. And so had we had hotel reservations, we couldn't have gotten there. And then we would have been dealing with, we didn't have cell phone service because we didn't mm-hmm. want to pay for it. That <laughs> We wouldn't have even been able to cancel it. So it was like, great. We was like pretty much like plunked down our <laughs> finger on the map. And we're like, let's take a train here instead. And we found one of our favorite towns, um, Orvieto. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the best things that happened to us throughout the whole trip. So I kind of like to open myself up to like that magic, but there were so many people that thought we were nuts. My mother-in-law was like so scared for us, but we loved it. We just had so much fun. That sounds really fun. That's amazing. Well, so moving forward, as we discuss this book, listener, keep in mind our different perspectives because it's kind of fun that we'll get both these like structured and unstructured perspectives of how to go about recovering your wild woman. Today's episode is brought to you by me, your host, Emma Veritas. You've been working at your dull gray cubicle job long enough to know you need to change your life. You feel totally disconnected from the person you used to be when you were young, full of imagination and interested in life. If this is you, I invite you to check out the School of Wild Authenticity's online course, Find Your True Self Again. This course is a safe, easy, wonderful space where you can reconnect to peace, life, joy, and wonder. It's where you can foster a deep connection to your most authentic self by following a clear process that will guide you step by easy step to a life that feels interesting and inspiring again. I would be honored to be part of your journey of waking up, coming alive, and discovering what it is that would make you the most happy in life. Find out more at wildauthenticity.com forward slash true self. The link is in the show notes. Okay, so everyone, we're going to move on to our quotes section of our podcast episode today where Caitlin and I each will share a quote. And the purpose of this is to help us really learn how to pick out one nugget we want to walk away with because this book and these chapters, even our conversations are so wide ranging. There's so much information here. So when we look at a very specific quote, we can kind of calm ourselves down, not be so overwhelmed and walk away with a nugget for us. So Caitlin, what quote do you want to share today? So it's just a short quote and it goes, within us is the potential to be fleshed out again as the creatures we once were. Within us are the bones to change ourselves and our world. Nice. And what is it that's standing out for you about that quote? Like, what do you love about it? I love the, again, the hope that it has in this. And it's connecting with me right now because the the last couple of months have actually been really pretty hard for me and my family. We lost my grandmother, who is the last of 
of my grandparents, which has been really hard. And I think that there are like pieces of us that kind of are, are feeling like they're missing. And yet there's so much hope to sort of come back to this sense of like joy and celebration. We're preparing for her celebration of life, which I think is such a beautiful thing. So there's that piece of it. And then also just in the grand scheme of my life that sometimes there's pieces of, of myself that I feel like for one reason or another has been pushed to the wayside, whether it was, you know, feeling like a part of myself wasn't accepted by a, a social group, or I felt ashamed of a, a piece of who I am or didn't feel like it was valid or worth expressing. But this is that reminder that it's still there and that it can come back at any time and that there's that potential to to always change to if if you're not happy and if you feel like things aren't the way that you want them to be in this moment that it's temporary and that you can make the choice to find that sense of wholeness again and by doing that i also think that when we it starts with us but then as we change ourselves and we find that fullness within ourselves that then ripples out into the world and that allows us to have a greater impact on the world around us. And especially in a time where I feel a lot of sadness when I see a lot of things that are happening in the world right now. But again, knowing that I have it within me to make even small changes and improvements and sort of restoring certain aspects of my life, at least within like the sphere that I, that I have influence on, um, to a space that feels healthier. And, and again, that sense of fullness and wholeness. Yeah. I love that. I love the hope of that too. Like the idea that it's just in you, like it's just part of who we are, that there's this part of us that can piece ourselves back together, you know, or at least guide that journey of piecing ourselves back together. And I kind of, especially in that quote, love the word within, like it's within you. So I'm curious if you relate to that part or that part stands out for you. It does. And that's one of the reasons why I love coaching so much and being a life coach. It's that core philosophy that we all have the answers within ourselves it's just that you have that guidance to access your own inner knowing, your own intuition, your the resources that you have. And so often there is that tendency to look outside of ourselves, hoping that someone else will have the answer for us. But instead, this is a reminder that actually there might be something external that helps with that guidance, but ultimately the answers are within you and you you're it's that truth. It's like finding that truth like you were talking about. I love that. I think that's so hopeful too. Um, I think that like I've had times where things felt really, really lost, right? Like really dark and really not good. And at those times, it is always nice to remember that. Like somehow there's something in you that's propelling you forward, even if you can't see it, even if it feels buried underneath everything else, <laughs> you know, it's still like an active part of your psyche. And I like that, you know, 
the message, I think that is a main message of this chapter is the hope of that. So if there's like the little nugget you're going to walk away with from that quote, what would it be? Like if there's like a one sentence nugget. So the way that she talks about the bones as being this indestructible source, to me, what I take away from it is that within me is this indestructible force that has that ability to change and grow and reclaim who I am. Yeah. I love that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So how about you? What, what was the quote or sentence that really captured the essence of this story for you right now in your life? Yeah. So I actually want to pick a quote from a part of the chapter we haven't talked about yet. And it's a part where there's actually another story in this chapter called The Four Rabbinim. And it's a story about these four rabbis that an angel comes and visits them. And they have this major spiritual experience seeing in the story. It's called The Seventh or The Sacred Wheel of Ezekiel. And they each walk away having different responses to that experience. And she says, the story recommends that the optimal attitude for experiencing the deep unconscious is one of neither too much fascination nor too little one of not too much awe but neither too much cynicism bravery yes but not recklessness and I think this is she's talking about the approach to spiritual experience and spiritual path because once you're kind of start working with like your intuition and recovering your wild woman and collecting the bones, it tends to be like a more magical, spiritual journey that you're going on. And what I like is like that she's a therapist, right? And so she's like, let's ground ourselves in a little bit of remembering that we can have a safe attitude towards these experiences where we can continue our lives and ponder these things but not get like so carried away by them that we aren't ourselves anymore right I really like that I like it personally because um, I think it's really validating because sometimes I'll have a little thought that says I should be a little bit more in awe like I should be a little bit more fascinated because I have a spiritual practice and I should be a little more carried away with it and I don't know I grew up in a very buoyant, charismatic, evangelical Christian church growing up. And there was actually a lot of pressure in this one particular church about the attitude to have towards the divine or towards spiritual experience. And I think the pressure geared towards you should be really excited about it, right? Like you should be like up and dancing and singing and I love those experiences. Like I love the spiritual experiences that are dancing and singing and fun. And I love the shining light of beauty and glory. And also I like the idea of like incorporating those types of experiences into our lives in a way that's a little bit more maybe level headed and calm. So we can just go about actually living our lives, like being alive every day and going about it. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's, it's nice because it is a, a grounded approach to this where it's like this marriage between connecting to this more spiritual aspect of ourselves that maybe we can't like see and touch, but then also bring it into 
the world and having it be like a part of you and not all encompassing. When I like that it's, it's honoring that there are these different pieces of ourselves. There are like sort of the mundane average experiences. And then there also are these really powerful, more awe inspiring spiritual experiences that we could have and that they're all valid and they can all happen sort of simultaneously even. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a cool way to think about it. Yeah, I think so too. I think the four Rabinum was a good story. Like I like that it was in here. I like that she included it. And so my little nugget from this quote, I think is just feeling validated, (laughs) you know, my like kind of middle of the road attitude towards things. And feeling like, yes, this is kind of how you like safely and beautifully incorporate these kinds of experiences or teachings into your life. Like the Rabinum in the story that after he had the spiritual experience, it said, the fourth rabbi who was a poet took a paper in hand and a reed and sat near the window writing song after song, praising the evening dove, his daughter in her cradle and all the stars in the sky. And he lived his life better than before. It's like such a sweet Mm -hmm. way to think about walking away from spiritual experience. Yeah. And it's, it's like not discounting the simple and beautiful things that are right in front of us. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So for our listeners, what we would love to challenge you to do is to answer these questions for yourself. So after you read the chapter, just think about what did you think about the chapter? What were your major takeaways? And pick out one quote that you loved and think about why. What does it say to you and how is it showing up in your life right now? And we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to share what came up for you during this chapter, you can share it in our Full Heart Free Voice podcast community on Facebook. And the link to that is in the show notes below. This episode was produced by Emma Veritas and Caitlin Bosshart. You can find out more about me, Emma, at my website, wildauthenticity.com. And follow me in my other Facebook group, The Writing Dream Collective, for women who want to write. And you can find out more about me, Caitlin, at my website, caitlinbosshart.com and on Instagram at Caitlin underscore Bossheart. The nicest thing you can do for us is to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. It really helps the podcast to reach more listeners. And if you know someone who would love the Full Heart Free Voice podcast, we hope you'll share it with them. And of course, join the conversation in our Facebook group, the Full Heart Free Voice Podcast Community. And you can also follow along with us on Instagram at fullheart underscore free voice underscore podcast and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter at wildauthenticity.com forward slash podcast. A special thank you to the amazing artists whose music is featured on the podcast, Wally Ingram, Stevie Black, and Tom Freund. You heard portions of tracks Shine a Light and Udu You Love from their record Spa Day. And thanks to Caitlin Bossart for creating our beautiful cover art and to Kirit Basu for all his audio and technical help. Last but not least, thank you to you, our listeners.